Thank you. Good morning. Hey, and a Resurrection Sunday celebration to all of you. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, just so great to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that ensures us that we have eternal life through faith in Christ. And we're so grateful this morning to see all of you here and online as well. Welcome, all of you. Um, just a quick word as later on in the service, we'll hear a little phrase, He is risen, and the classic response is, you got it. So we'll hear a few more of those later on in the service. But let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this day to give you thanks and praise for who you are. So grateful, Father, for the life that we have in Jesus. So grateful for family and friends. So thankful to you, Lord, that this life isn't all that there is. That there is a life to come through what Christ accomplished for us that when he died on the cross, all our sins were laid upon him. All the things that aren't right, Lord God, what Christ did for us, now you declare us righteous people. We know that we're not perfect, but Lord God, through Jesus, you declare us freed from the consequences. And so, Lord, we come to you with gladness in our hearts, with freedom in our spirit, with love to share with the world around us, and especially, Lord God, to worship you today with our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, we are united in the good news of Jesus Christ. And to you, Lord God, we give you glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, celebrate. Yeah. It's a good day to worship. It's a good day to sing to our Lord. Risen one. Here we go. Oh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, just wanted to see if you guys are awake. <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh, 
you because you are our holy God. And Jesus, thank you that you didn't leave us alone, that your Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, uh, walking temples of the Holy Spirit, Father. That's what we are. And this morning, we just raise that mighty roar and thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord. See on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. What he's done, what he's done. Glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing for the freedom He has won. Even death. Yeah. 
Lord, thank you so much, Father, for this great opportunity to come together as a family in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection and eternal life and a new heaven and a new earth to come. You promise. God, you gave us breath in the first place. The fact that we even exist is a miracle. The fact that there's something instead of nothing at all is a miracle. Father, we thank you. We owe you our very lives. We owe you everything. And especially, Lord God, in this fallen world where we see trouble and strife and distress and death, God, we know that Jesus is the answer that you've given us, that it is by your gift to us and not our achievement that our sins are forgiven and that we have the resurrection to eternal life. Lord, we want to pause for a minute this morning, and if there are are things on your mind that you want to share with the Lord this morning, praises, concerns, griefs, Whatever that might be, I just want to pause now and share with the Lord from your heart your prayers. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives within us and the truth of your word. We ask now that as we move forward in our worship for your glory, that your Holy Spirit would truly move here in this place and in our hearts. Bring us close, Lord. We pray that we would truly feel and experience your joy in heaven here on earth. And may your will be done always in and through us, and by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, Let's have the kids come on up. If you feel like a kid or you are one, come on down here. Join me on the stairs. I've got a little message for you. Um, The flower here is to celebrate new life. I was kind of wondering if Gabe and Rachel made it this morning, but I don't think so. Brand new parents, right? Gabe and Rachel Perez. Uh, Rachel gave birth to Isabella Rose on the 4th of this month at 10.28 p.m. 7 pounds, 14 ounces, about 20 inches long. So that is so cool and a real answer to prayer. So we're delighted for them. I assume they're, they're uh, a little tired this morning. I, who knows? Um, also, youth group, G- Gabe is on paternity leave for a while, so there's four of us that are going to cover for him. Youth group will meet as usual in the coming weeks. So just to let you know that, that has not stopped. Uh, just got a message to this morning that Becky Van Houten's dad passed away today. Is that right? Today? Yes. So good to see you guys here. And we just want to remember Becky and all the family in our prayers. Um, if I had to choose a day to go home to be with Jesus, it would be today. What a great celebration of that life we have in him. But you'll be missed very much. So just thought I'd have a quick prayer for them while we're coming forward, Okay. Heavenly Father, we pray for Becky and all the family that you comfort their hearts. We're so grateful that Becky could be there with her family and to be with her dad. And Lord, he'll be sorely missed. But we know, Lord God, that the resurrection is our hope. And reunions are coming. 
And we ask, Lord, your comfort and peace between now and then. We look forward to that day that comes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys. So what day is it today like you couldn't guess? It's not Christmas. It's Sunday. Good. Is, is it the Resurrection Sunday? Yeah, Easter Sunday. Do you know that every Sunday, though, is Resurrection Sunday? This is just the one Sunday we really, really blow it up and we magnify it so the world can see and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, as you know, we've got some chickens at our house, and that led me to think about this egg that one of our chickens laid. I've got three that are hard at work, and one is in retirement, apparently. (laughs) But uh, that's okay. That's how the life of a chicken goes, I guess. I wanted to read for, the, for you the Gospel of John, where Peter and another disciple, probably John, ran to the tomb after Jesus was buried, and it was Sunday morning. I mean, it was early, just about the sunrise, right? So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw strips of linen lying there. They would cover the body with those strips of linen, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw. What did he see? He says he saw and believed. What did he believe? That the tomb was full or empty? The body is there or not? Not, right. He's risen from the grave, right? And, you know, when I've got this egg here, I think to myself, an egg like this, you know, it'd be dangerous if it, you know, cracked it on my head. I, I would have a hard time cleaning up the mess, wouldn't I? But, you know, you'd expect, you'd expect things like that to happen. But in reality, there's nothing there. The egg is empty. And it's like the tomb of Jesus. The tomb was empty. And everybody was so surprised. And that is the joy of Easter resurrection. It is a surprise gift from God that this life isn't all that there is, that there's a life to come, eternal life. And that is all available through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? What a special day to celebrate. So let's pray and give God thanks. Lord, thank you so very, very much for who we are in Jesus, that you love us so much that you gave us your son. And Lord, that tomb was empty. Everybody agrees the tomb was empty. And later on, they met Jesus. God, thank you for that miracle, that you are the author and the giver and the sustainer of life. And in you, Lord God, we have our life now and forever. We're so grateful. Thank you for all these boys and girls. We pray they have a wonderful time in Sunday school and get to know you all better and better and love each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Your teachers are waiting right there by the door for you. If you're a guest this morning, you want to go with your kids, you feel free to do that. We want you to feel right at home here. A quick note on the offering here at the church. There's a little box on the back table there, and that box has got a little slot in it. And the offering this Easter season through a couple of weeks from now 
is for relief in Turkey and in Ukraine. And it's going to the head office of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Florida, and then they'll disperse that through various boots on the ground, you could say, so that people can get some real practical assistance and help. So the entire Easter offering is going to that endeavor. So we'll hang on to that offering for several weeks to come before we send it in. All you need to do is mark your um, checks or whatever with that note for relief or emergency relief or for Turkey whatever, or Ukraine, whatever you want to put on there. We'll know where to send it and keep track of it for you. I'll turn it over to you.
sharing with the kids earlier, you know, every Sunday really is Resurrection Sunday. It's why we worship on Sundays. This was the day that Christ was raised from the grave, and the people came to find out that the tomb was empty. And we've come this morning to celebrate that resurrection story, and not just a story, but the reality of it in our lives, that the living presence of Jesus is here right now, and we're grateful for this. The text that I'll be sharing with you this morning is from 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to the to the church in Corinth. They had some questions about the resurrection. They were struggling with some aspects of it. They had not been Jews necessarily before this. They had never been a Christian heritage there. They were relatively new to the faith in many cases. And so Paul writes a very uh, poignant letter to them called 1 Corinthians and deals with a lot of issues, one of which was the resurrection. So I'll be reading that here in a little bit. But let's first begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so wonderful to be in your house to draw from you wisdom and to know that when we hope in the resurrection, when we hope in eternal life, that God, it is not a fuzzy something out there, but it's someone, it's Jesus. And through Christ Jesus, we know that this life isn't going to last forever, but it is not the end of the story. That, dear God, we thank you that there's heaven and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. And God, it's all in your word, you promised. And so, God, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would continue to enrich our faith. And for those like in Corinth that struggled with the whole thing, I pray, Father, that it'll start to sink in today, that your Holy Spirit will move them closer to you and to know the joy and the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus as well. It's a gift, Lord, we know this. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit do its mighty work in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, we've been through a lot, haven't we, in the last three or four years? Can anybody say they haven't been through a lot in the last three or four years? The, the thought that occurred to me, and I felt this myself deeply, was we needed a message on hope. Not like wishful thinking, but in the confidence that we have, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Some of the things that, and this is just me personally, I wrote down some of the stuff that was kind of weighing me down. You know, pastors don't float on the top of the water like a cork, you know, immune to the ups and downs of life and the emotions that we have, or immune from the situations that we face in the world. We see things and experience things like everybody else does, and some of the ones that came to mind I think will relate with all of us. In March of 12th, March 12th, 2020, New Rochelle, New York, was declared a COVID containment area. Is there irony in that? A COVID containment area. It wasn't long after that that we all knew it had not been contained, and I've had COVID twice, so we've all had some of it probably. In February of 2022, what happened? The Russians invaded Ukraine, and there were wars and rumors of wars and fears and concerns, and then there's China possibly with Taiwan and all that before 2025. In August of 2022, inflation reached 8.3%, mostly groceries. Now it's 6%, but still up there. Our food program here at the church has been a big help to the community, um, and we're grateful that we can provide that. Um, but still, it's a stress, um, especially when I, I ruined several eggs, and I was thinking dollars and cents when I was doing it, <laughs> trying to do the pinholes on both ends and then blow it out without blowing my cheeks out. And I finally got one out of six to finally work. Um, I'm not sure how much money that was, but uh, we won't worry about the budget right now. 
Um, at the end of 2022, the stock market had its biggest overall percentage drop in value since 2008. The 401ks are back to four O's. We'll see how that goes. Many young people are so worried about global warming, they're choosing not to have kids. I think that's, that's sad. Social Security might be cut 20% in 2032. My daughter doesn't even think there will be Social Security of any sort when she's older. We all know that there's huge cultural shifts. Do you know that there are cultural shifts in our country right now? <laughs> they're, they're dramatic, and it's creating tension, and it's creating distress, and there are some families that don't even want to see each other, and it's just insane. Um, what I see is that God's ethics that he gives us in Scripture are being replaced in large part and increasingly by social mores or morality that's sort of generically determined by groups or a wider democratic sort of perception. And we need to get back to the roots of God's nature, God's person, the work of Jesus Christ. And um, I was kind of feeling a little blue the other day, and I thought, but you know, God told Elijah, don't worry, there are 5,000 that haven't bent their knees to Baal. And then Baal's just a false god. And I thought, that's a good message for me. I love that. This is a message of hope this morning. I loved doing the prep because my heart was filled with hope. I don't like the news. I wish that every newscast would not end with a commercial, but with a prayer. Amen. Yeah, why not bring it to God? Why not have some scripture behind it? Why not advance the kingdom's work and the authority and the rule and the reign of God in all these circumstances? And we've got to remember that our hope isn't in things, it's in someone. And that makes all the difference in the world. So what are you really hoping for and counting on? It's a great question. And I don't mean that in a sort of an esoteric way, but, you know, like curiosity. I mean really. What are we truly counting on? And are circumstances able to rob you of where your hope is placed? That's a great question. One that I've asked myself, too. Now, we don't want to talk about wishful thinking. We don't want to talk about something that we hope in. How about this? I hope I don't get sick. Well, maybe I will and maybe I won't. I hope I can pay the bills. I hope I can get that job. I hope I can graduate. There's a lot of uses for the word hope, and it really means wishful thinking, a desire. When the Bible talks about hope, it is not wishful thinking. It is the certainty of real hope, and that's provided for us by Jesus Christ. If we place our trust in things, let's be honest, there's not a thing that will last. Science will tell you that. If there were no God and we put our hope in just stuff, people, things, creation, maybe we want to upload our brain into a computer and think we can have immortality as an uploaded brain. I think somebody forgot to talk about the soul when they discussed that one. It won't last. Somebody put gas in the tank of the car and the car is driving down the road, and the gas tank is getting emptier and emptier and emptier, and at the end of the day, the car will stall out. There's no more fuel. That's called entropy. This is what the universe is experiencing. Who put the gas in the tank? Why is it diminishing and not increasing or static? Because God kicked it off and got it started. Praise God. And we can give God thanks for all these many things. The Bible tells us that our security isn't in something, but in someone, and that's the one I want to tell you about, 
because Jesus never wears out. He never gives up. He never goes away, and he never goes awry. Right? Yeah. He is risen. There you go. This will be an interactive uh, sermon this morning. So, C.S. Lewis says things so pointedly. He says this, if you aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, because there'll be a new earth, right? Aim at earth and you'll get neither. That's the way he would say it. I think he's right on. I want to read for us now from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 14. Remember now, the people reading the letter have some questions about the resurrection. In fact, some of them are thinking, that's just too weird. I mean, when people die, they're dead. And now we're talking about someone who rose from the grave, and that is not a common thing, right? In fact, it wouldn't even be a rare thing. It was an unheard of thing, practically, although Jesus raised a few people from the dead. But when Jesus died, they probably wondered, well, who would raise him? So here's, here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church and to all of us. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, and that means good news I preach to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. In other words, your sins are forgiven and you're made right with God. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I passed or what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. The prophecy said Jesus would rise after death. And that He appeared then to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Now, when He talks about brothers, there are sisters there too. It's just a, a biblical way of writing. So there's probably more than 500 people involved here, right? A large number, all at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Right? Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, or with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Or if Christ has, excuse me, I'm getting used to graded lenses still, I guess. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? See, there's their problem, their hang-up. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? Useless, and so is your faith. One of the things that um, I grew up in the Presbyterian church. I married another Presbyterian at a different Presbyterian church. But it's not the Presbyterian church that has the corner on the market of faith and Christian experience and worship. It's just coincidental. But in those two settings, 
we heard the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, and we, I've been celebrating Easter services now regularly for many, 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 many years, as have many of you. The key piece for me when I changed professions from the nursing field into the ministry was I didn't do it because I felt like I needed to change something in my life as a something, but I was convinced and even increasingly convinced in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, you can't be a Christian without the resurrection. In fact, in, this is even more profound, we're the only religious belief on the planet that is absolutely reliant on a miracle. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. With the resurrection, we have everything. And as I studied it and looked at it and worked on it, I wanted to know the truth. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. And the deeper you go, the more richer it gets. And it becomes more and more wonderful. And I want to share this someone with you and some of the things that have made a big difference in my life as I've grown in the Lord. There are three parts to the sermon today. One is the resurrection is critical. The resurrection is convincing. And the resurrection is compelling. Those are all part of what this says. My college English teacher used to insist on brevity. She'd say, Martin, write more briefly. Get to the point, she said. Write like Ernest Hemingway. Okay, fine. I tried to write like Ernest Hemingway, short and brief to the point, and I'm sure many of you are hoping the sermon will be a Hemingway sermon, right? <laughs> short, brief, to the point. Boom, 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 boom. Well, if you could describe the essence of our faith in 40 words or less, could you? Paul did in verses 3 and 4. He's done the work for us. The resurrection is critical. It is the first point in your outlines. Here's verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, if you want to sum up the most critically important parts of our faith, there you are in 40 words or less. Not that hard. I'm glad Paul did it, though. But uh, we're grateful for that. And you may notice that there's a pronoun in there. It's called our. He didn't die for his sins. Jesus didn't die for his sins, his failures, the things he should have done and didn't, and the things he did do and he shouldn't have done from God's perspective, right? His sins were ours laid on him. He was sinless. He died for our sins. And that is instrumental in that short phrase. Romans 6.23, Paul wrote, For the wages of sin is death, and we've seen that. Becky's father passed away. Uh, we've got Dave Porter. I did his committal service on Good Friday out there at Lincoln Memorial, and he'll have his service coming up this Friday, and Deb Dales is the uh, Saturday, rather, and Jeb's is the Saturday after that. Rhonda's here. Remember Paul? There's a lot of folks that we miss, but we know where they go, and we know where they are, and can you imagine the resurrection celebration now with them in heaven? They're having the biggest party ever with the Savior. And that gives us that hope that we have. The reunions are coming. It's a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is probably the shortest Ernest Hemingway way of saying how the cross worked. The crucifixion of Christ works. And here it is. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. 
He took our sins upon himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become right with God. God's justice is satisfied. He's a holy God. And when Christ died, his justice was satisfied. And that sets us free. And then we receive his mercy. We don't get what we deserve. We're given life. And that is a wonderful treasure that we can never forget. And then Christ died. Not only did he die on the cross, but he was buried. He was truly, truly dead. Historians agree on several points about Jesus' life and that he was, in fact, crucified by Pontius Pilate. It's in the record. And that he was truly dead and he was buried. That's an agreed-upon fact that's historical. And certainly Roman soldiers knew how to kill people, right? That was their job, or their own lives were at stake. We also know that Christ rose from the grave on Sunday morning, and that's where the trouble starts, where people have a hard time imagining that could be true. But I want to share with you why that's so convincing in just a minute. The power of the resurrection proves that the cross was effective. Because if we would simply say that the, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, but we stay dead, then the wages of sin is death, and where's the hope? But instead, he rose from the grave that guarantees the cross was effective, and now we have not death, but life. And that is what Easter celebration is all about. And if it's not true, then let's just go home and eat our eggs and our chocolate bunnies, because that's all we got left. 13, 14, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The resurrection is proof that our sins are forgiven on the cross of Christ. Now, he is risen? Is there convincing evidence? I think there's really good evidence. I want to share it with you next. That's the second point. The resurrection is convincing. I want to share some of the reasons why I believe that's true, and I'm not alone in this. I'm not making stuff up on my own. I've, there's a lot of research out there, and I want to share with you what others have said. First of all, Jesus raised several people from the dead. There was a little girl, Tabitha. She was raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the tomb four days after he died. Now, if Jesus could do this, and he did, but when Jesus dies, there's no other Jesus to raise him up, and that's where part of the, the Saturday doldrums and darkness and the grief in the disciples' hearts, I think, was going. They had all the information. He taught them for three years. They were writing it down. They were keeping notes. Disciples would do this. They want to learn from their teacher. They want to be just like their teacher. Now the teacher's gone, and they're all in the dumps. You'd think if it's something that they needed, they would be carrying on with joy, but they're not. It was the someone that they missed, the someone that was so critical. And when, they ro when he rose from the grave... Let me ask you a quick question. When do Jews worship? Saturdays, right? So why then would Christian Jews start worshiping on Sundays? They've been worshiping on Saturdays since the time of Moses. That was 1,500, 1,600, 17, you know, thousands of years. Long time. Never worshiped on Sundays. It was considered Monday. Sunday was their Monday, the first day of the week. It's like you're going, to go to work, you're going to go to work tomorrow maybe, right? But what if we just changed worship to Monday morning? You'd go, that's weird. 
the Jews started worshiping on Sunday mornings who knew about the resurrection of Christ. What could possibly move them off of what Moses had taught for so long? The reality of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only way it could have happened. And that's the simplest way to go forward. There's some other evidences as well. We know almost nothing about first century crucifixions and the victims of it. There are a few things, but we know a lot about it because of Jesus. The accounts in the scriptures about Jesus are the best first century account of crucifixion. In fact, Jesus really stands out as is really almost the only one. In fact, I'll be willing to say he might be the only one where we get the account of a crucifixion. And there were thousands of people that were crucified, which raises the question, why was Jesus different? If there's thousands of people executed, why does one person get all the notoriety? All the literature. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, we probably would never have heard of him. He would just be a teacher. And there were other teachers, but they didn't rise up like that. We wouldn't have any of our New Testament. Matthew through Revelation, we wouldn't have any of it without the resurrection of Christ. There's extremely few accounts of anyone's life in the first century Palestine, but we know the most about Jesus. Jesus didn't have a school. He didn't have a military. He didn't have any political office. He wasn't a writer. He wasn't famous in his own natural sense. He was famous in a supernatural sense, a worker of miracles, one who taught with authority, one who declared himself to be from heaven and the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and he died, and what really did it was he rose from the grave. That really transformed life. We also wouldn't have three non-Christian sources that point to Christ and the resurrection as well. I'll give you one. Uh, well, there's Josephus, Tacitus, and Thallus. But Tacitus, who was a Roman historian in AD 115, said this, uh, after Nero was blaming Christians for the fire in Rome, and actually uh, it turned out the fire in Rome in 64 AD was uh, his desire to remodel, but he blamed the Christians for it. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Um, the abominations were the fact that we believed in one God and not a whole pantheon of gods, and the Romans thought that was an abomination. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition thus checked for a moment. You know what a moment was? Saturday. Died on the cross on Friday, checked. Pontius Pilate checked it. Saturday, everybody went into hiding and grief, but Sunday, it exploded. Here's what else he says. Thus checked for a moment, again, broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. The news spread. The resurrection of Christ is affirmed in our activities, our ancestors' activities, even then. Even though it was an extremely dangerous thing to do, tortures, death, persecutions. They couldn't even print the Bibles very well because the, the printing houses, the scribal houses were raided and destroyed constantly. All kinds of, they estimate maybe a million Christians might have passed away by the year 300 AD from persecution. Was it risk? Yes. Was it worth it? <laughs> Absolutely. 
because it's true. People behave that way. Believers and non-believers alike agree the tomb was empty. Even critics believe the tomb was empty. Jesus Christ, now this is really interesting. Jesus is mentioned in all the world's major religions. Everyone. Not the Jesus in the Bible. They've twisted and manipulated and sort of massaged the Jesus they want and not the Jesus that is. But isn't it interesting that Jesus gets that much attention worldwide? There's something very, very unique about this person, this Jesus, right? This is a powerful witness that's going on there that impacts even those that would deny his truth and that he rose. Resurrection is the only explanation. And then he goes on to say in verses 4 to 8, he says, if you don't believe me, he says, there's 500 plus people that saw Jesus all at the same time, and they're not all dead yet. You can go ask them. Check it out for yourselves. See what you think. See what they saw. Hear what they saw. And then come to grips with the evidence and see how that speaks to you. It's almost like Paul says to the Corinthians that are struggling, he says, listen, the resurrected Jesus appeared to over 500 people and most of them are still alive. If you don't believe in the resurrection, ask them. Check it out. And as a pastor these many years afterwards, I can't say go ask them, right? They're in heaven with God. But we can look at the evidence and the fruit of what happened and we can say how else could that happen? What else could energize the church overnight to take off like it did? A real activity and a real event. British attorney Sir Edward Clark put it in a letter to his pastor this way. He wrote, As a lawyer, I've made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence. Not nearly so compelling. The resurrection is very compelling. And I pray that you won't just take my word for it. Dig Seek. Ask God to reveal to you what's going on here. It's rooted in history and not fantasy. It is a secure hope and not wishful thinking. Go check it out. Look at the data. Look at the details. Don't listen to what people say about what other people said about what other people said about it. Look for the evidences directly yourself. And I think you'll come, I pray you'll come to the same conclusions I have. I'm not wasting my time. There is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is worth everything. It's a gift. So he is risen. risen. Yeah, it's all there. And then the resurrection is calling. My daughter gave me the final question for the sermon today. She says to her dad, Dad, I've got four grandsons, for those who don't know my story. The oldest will be seven this year, and the youngest is just past one. I've got a couple down at the lower end of that scale. And... Mary is very concerned about her kids' safety and and security, and if you know my three grandsons, I can well imagine she's concerned about how safe they are, especially when the middle one runs across the road and then yells at his mom. She says, don't you do that. You come, you know, just stay there. I was faster than the car. (laughs) So it wasn't long after that, she calls me up, and I won't tell you what the kids were doing yesterday. That was horrifying. Um, But she says, Dad, how can I keep my kids safe? Great question. Go ask your mother. (laughs) No, you know, okay, let's be serious. What would you say? 
what would you say? We could talk about things. Make sure you hold their hands so they don't dart across the street. Reinforce all the lessons you've taught. Make sure that this, you know, reinforced and that you discipline them properly if they don't behave. Make sure they don't stick each other with pencils and pens and pins and all kinds of other weapons and other poisonous behavior. And let's, let's talk about things, and that's all good, right? But what can really keep them safe? I said this. Make sure they know Jesus. You can't save your kids. You can't give them life. You, you can't stuff the Holy Spirit into somebody. You can't hold out on them or you can't berate them and fight them and argue with them and, and get into a big blow-up. But you can teach them and you can pray like crazy. And the church can join you in that endeavor so that they grow up and they know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior too. And that is the only way I know that the kids can be safe? And I thought, what a great question. Jesus Christ is the answer. Things are important, but Jesus Christ carries the freight through all those things, ups and downs, into eternity. And we're grateful to Jesus. When a close friend of Jesus died, his name was Lazarus. I mentioned him already. He was raised from the grave. Jesus was talking with his sister, Martha. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Mary was really distraught. She loved her brother and everything, and she was pretty put out with God, I think, at the moment, and just distraught. She thought, if Jesus would have come sooner, my brother would have lived, and there was just all this stuff going on in her mind. And Jesus waited till the fourth day on purpose, and I won't go into all the details, but pointedly, he wanted to make sure that everybody would know that Lazarus had truly died. So what happens next is clearly a miracle. And this is the exchange that he has with Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He's not saying we won't have a natural death. He's just saying that our spirit goes to be with the Father. The thief on the cross next to Jesus who placed his faith in Christ, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the promise of God. And so here we see, hey, you'll never die. This is life. God is not the author of death. He's the author of life. Do you believe this? That he is the resurrection and the life. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Do you believe in the good news that Martha embraced? You know, there's a, I think it comes home, we can trust in things, and things are important. I have a, a wallet in my pants pocket that I need to use to pay for gas. That's a thing. It's important. I'm going to do that. We'll probably go out and buy some more eggs because I've ruined half of the batch this morning. <laughs> you know, these are things, and they're important things. People are important. Love is important. But above all things, above all things, it's God. And how do we get to be with God? How can we stand before our Maker and without any accusations of sin, without any critique, without the judgment of God who is truly holy,
How can we face God? It's because God says, I love you so much that I am going to step in. Christ comes, our Savior Jesus, and I will take away your sins so that we can be right together and that we can have eternity together. And that's a choice that each one of us makes along our road in life. And I just pray that the things we cling to and count on that give us all kinds of moody ups and downs, that we'll seriously consider, are we really trusting in things? Because they'll let us down. They won't last, really, honestly. What will hold up forever and ever and ever? <laughs> the only one who's raised from the grave and calls us home. The only one who's come from heaven and knows how to get back. Jesus Christ. And knows how to get us there. Jesus Christ. You might think, okay, what's he going to do now? It's getting awkward. We're going to sing a song ten times over until somebody caves in is what we're going to do. <laughs> That's not possible, is it? Isn't that the most ridiculous thing? It is not a manipulative moment. It's a spiritual moment. It's a truth moment. It's an honest moment. It's a humble moment. I don't know what God is doing in all of our hearts here this morning. You might think that maybe I do, but I don't. And I just trust that God works the way God works and God works in God's good timing and it would be wrong for us to miss God time. If this is your time with God, I just want to be quiet now. Let you talk to God and maybe you just want to listen to God. Maybe you'll hear static. But if you listen long enough, you'll hear him. I just want to take a moment now and let you have your time with God. And then I'll close in a prayer, okay? Father, a lot of things are on our mind. The news fills our minds with lots of things. The economy, the store shelves, family, friends, households and apartments. Lord God, things are all around us. We need those things, those good things. We thank you especially though this morning for what Paul said was the most critically important, that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord, that Christ was buried. And then, to the surprise of many, many, Christ rose from the grave, physically, tangibly. And Lord God, we thank you that that guarantees our salvation. The resurrection is assured that we don't have a wishful thinking hope and a fantasy faith. We have living hope, a surety that we have eternal life. If someone here this morning really wasn't sure what to say, just say, Lord, I do believe that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for making me right with you. I know I didn't deserve it, but you love me. I know that. And I thank you for my salvation. Thank you, God, that I join my brothers and sisters around the world today, that I have eternal life now. Help me with your Holy Spirit's power 
and your word to live into it, to give you praise, to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. May your love pour out through me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a wonderful week. You know, I um, from take to go from Palm Sunday, doing our Seder meal, Good Friday, and now Easter. So if you miss celebrating with us on any of those days, this song is going to take us from that moment of Calvary to when he comes again. So sing with us. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body
is risen. He's risen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all you wonderful people now and forevermore. That's a long time, right? In fact, it's timeless. That's so cool. And all of God's beautiful people can say, Amen. Amen. Just one last word. I may not have met all of you before, but I'm here for you. And if you want to get in touch with me this week, do it. Um, don't think that you can't. You can. I'm here for everybody. So if you want to talk some more, pray some more, dig some more, whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. And God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead. No coffee hour, I don't believe, after worship today because we know there's other plans afoot. Is that right? Or am I wrong? I'm right. Okay. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Be at peace.